0: I'm Zach D'Amico, and I'm Carson Cook, and welcome to The New Auteurs, the podcast where we take the critical framework from the golden era of cinema and apply it to today's films and filmmakers, and today we are talking about Amy Adams, the legendary six-time Academy Award winner, if by winner we mean best nominee in my heart, and not the (laughs) actual winner of the Oscars, of which she has zero wins. We'll be diving into her acting style through the lens of the 2008 drama, Doubt. Here to help us decode the Amy Adams magic, Johnny Diaz, has gone.
1: Hi, glad to be back.
0: How many Oscars you. does Amy Adams have in your heart?
1: How many does she have in my heart? Um, all of them.
0: Yeah, fair. Six plus one for Arrival, seven?
1: No, I mean every Oscar in every category since the oh, beginning wow. of the Academy Awards. Okay. In my heart, that's, let's, you know, a couple hundred. She only has one for me and it's for Vice.
0: Okay, that's, that's it. That's a bad opinion. You just ended this podcast. It's lasted a minute and a half. (laughs) So sorry. All right, I'm I'm kidding. Lynn Cheney earned something. (laughs) I'm kidding, I'm kidding. It's for Talladega, please. All right, that's fair enough. Yeah, I'll take that.
2: All right, so let's dive right in. Father Flynn, innocent? (laughs) (laughs)
0: God damn it. <laughs> <laughs> Philip Seymour Hoffman, innocent. Father Flynn, less innocent. I will put it that way.
2: Or how, how sure are you? Do you have any the movie, doubts?
1: I think that the movie definitely tips the scale a little bit more towards guilty. Um, yeah. I, think, I think Philip Seymour Hoffman thinks he's innocent.
0: Yes. And that is they crucial all to the success of the movie. I think. Like yeah, his, no, his, I agree. Okay, so here's a, here's, a, here's a follow-up question, although I do want to get back to this, you know, the ultimate decision on justice. But do you think the actors knew, or John Patrick Shanley knows? And if I he knew, think, did, did he tell his actors, or did he not? I
1: think it depends. I don't think that... I think that Merrill made the decision that he was guilty, like, as a character choice. Sure. Like she has to believe that he did it because that's what her character believes until like the very end. So I think that Meryl definitely thinks that he did it because she has to, to be able to give that performance. I think John Patrick Finley also thinks he did it.
0: Yeah. I mean, the gotcha moment of like, he resigned when I totally, like that's like a classic gotcha moment in in TV, in in TV especially, where it's Mm -hmm. like, you pretend to do something. So then they tell you the truth and you're like, oh, I was kidding. I didn't actually call your old schools. And then you're like, and so why didn't she like just what pushes it?
2: Why didn't she just call the nun from the old school? This is this is my big my big issue with the with the film. And I get that we're gonna
0: get there, but why didn't she just actually call and confirm? Well, because like remember, there are reminders throughout the film that like she is her station is lower than his. And she's reprimanded for even questioning him. Never mind, like you go above his head to another school, and there, like there could be, you know, it's a very small community, uh, bigger than 50 years ago than it, it is now, but still like a small, tight knit community that always talks. And that's like, I could actually see that having worse repercussions than her going
1: public, almost. And until it actually worked, and she started to have second thoughts, you know, right at the very end. I think she's just so certain that she is right, that she doesn't have to you know, double check and actually call anybody. She just has to get him to admit it because she knows that it's true.
2: And I guess she could but, call and think that, and maybe something will come up that he was innocent.
1: Then her bubble would be burst. So I think that this, part of the reason that the movie really works well for me and the reason that this debate, I think that you can actually do you know, this back and forth of did he do it, did he not, what is and is not true, is due in large part to, here's my segue, to Amy Adams in this movie, who really plays the, like, the central kind of audience surrogate role here, where, like, she is the one caught between Father Flynn and Sister Aloysius, and, you know, depending on who she's talked to last and who appears to have the upper hand, she's never really quite sure what she believes. And you know, is you know, caught in the middle of this
0: kind of moral mystery. I think I think that's exactly right. And I think to go back to my prior question, it's almost as if Shanley, the director, told Meryl Streep he's definitely guilty, told Philip Seymour Hoffman, you're totally innocent, and told Amy Adams, like you figure it out. Told her nothing. And then it's yeah. like, go. Yeah, told her, told her nothing. And and you're yeah, like where it, it really does. I feel like I felt when I was in law school, when I'd like read an opinion and be like, oh, that's that's totally right, I believe that. And then I'd read the dissent and be like, oh no, that's totally right. <laughs> Shoot, what is it? You're,
2: you've really gone beyond me by uh, reading an opinion and a dissent. That's, that's <laughs> a lot of reading.
1: Had you, were you guys familiar with Amy Adams before, I guess before Doubt came out? Since neither, neither of you had seen it until recently, right? Right.
2: Yeah. I hadn't I hadn't seen it. I read the I'd read the play several years ago, uh, but never never got around to seeing
0: seeing the it's movie. Just a quick side note. This play is called Doubt a Parable. Yeah. Are plays often that obnoxious that they you, you two are more experts in theater, but to me that's a little bit like it's I wrote a the parable. Nose. It is a simple moral story. It's that that's not uncommon. Yeah. Uh, yeah, it's
2: it's very on the nose. And I think I, I I was trying to piece this together whether I would have first seen her maybe in Talladega Nights, but I think it's maybe more likely that I saw her in one of her TV appearances because I watched Smallville and I watched Buffy and I watched The Office and she was on all of those for like one to three episode arcs. So that's probably yeah. the, actually the first place I saw her. When and do you think the, you were
0: first aware of like Amy Adams, right? Because enchanted. I saw her on The Office, enchanted. and then years yeah. later, enchanted. I was like, holy shit, Amy Adams was on The Office. I forgot. Enchanted. Yeah. Okay. Definitely yeah. Enchanted.
1: That was like a very much like a who is she, a mm-hmm. star is born kind of performance where the I had mountain mountain like house. I, had, I had definitely seen her in, you know, in Talladega Nights, but not really, you know, it hadn't really registered. And I'm sure I had seen her on TV, like you, Carson, but Enchanted was really like a this, this person is a movie star. Um, moment for me when I saw that when that came out and so w- the following year that was also right around the same time I started like really getting into movies and into the awards race in particular mm-hmm. and so the following year when Doubt was coming out here comes this movie it's you know based on a play that won a Pulitzer Prize and a bunch of Tonys um, it's starring you know Meryl Streep and Philip Seymour Hoffman these like titans of, of film acting and of the academy and here's Amy Adams who I had just really really liked in Enchanted um, and so I went into this movie when it came out like very, very excited and it's the kind of movie that I really, really like now, but also really liked then because I was doing a lot of theater at the time. That's really just like a very talky drama. There's you know, not a lot of sets, not a lot of, not a ton of like plot or movement. It's really just about like characters and relationships and, you know, there's a lot of extended back and forth dialogue scenes. And I remember being really, really impressed with Amy Adams in the way that she kind of held her own, you know, opposite, you know, we nobody knew who she was going to become, but opposite these like legends of the
0: screen. And it's really interesting to like go briefly into her history like this must have been just an incredibly intimidating role to take on. I'll jump back a little bit into her history. So she graduated high school, didn't go to college, and began a career as the dancer in dinner theater. Eventually moved to Minnesota because she was recruited for a dinner theater in Minnesota. She worked there for three years, and the big quote-unquote break, I guess, but really just the reason she got into film acting is because the movie *Drop Dead Gorgeous*, starring Kirsten Dunst and, and uh, Kirstie Alley, just f- filmed and cast in Minnesota, and so she got the part as a, in a supporting role in *Drop Dead Gorgeous*. And then Kirstie Alley encouraged her to move to LA to pursue film acting. And so she, she moves there, she struggles, you know, she moves there in the late 90s. She struggles for three or four years t- to get any traction. She's been sort of quoted as saying that she got almost typecast as like a quote unquote bitchy teen or bitchy girl in her 20s roles. And she like wasn't a fan of that. She eventually because got the role in Catch Me If You Can. Well, that's what Drop Dead Gorgeous is, right? It's right, like a exactly. Black, a black yeah. teen comedy. Yeah. And that's what she was nervous about when she like first took it was that's not me at all. I'm totally different from that. I don't want people to think that's who I am. And then lo and behold, you know, don't expect too much from Hollywood that that they thought that's who she was. And then you have Catch Me If You Can in which she gets really strong reviews for a smaller part, but a, a meaty one. And then she doesn't work for a year after that, which just goes to show how difficult it is. And it's hard to understand from like the outside looking in to be a young actress in Hollywood.
1: And then- I think even from like the inside, like the industry perspective, I was reading too that like Steven Spielberg in like the press tour for Catch Me If You Can, like was talking her up and was like, no, you guys don't understand. She's like really talented. She's gonna be the next big thing. So it's
0: even crazier that it took so long <laughs> after that. If that isn't enough to like get you going, literally what, it, it, it's just like, you know, the, a roll of the dice. Like something just has to break your way. If you have Spielberg advocating for you and you can't even like make it immediately, that says something. But so then she was, she's 30 years old at that point, and she is on the verge of quitting acting, and she shoots Junebug, which is less than a million dollar budget, small independent movie, and she gets nominated for her first Oscar. And then, what, uh, three years later she films out with two of like the, as you said, titans of acting, and goes you know, toe-to-toe with both of them.
1: Yeah, and then from that point on, it's just like, it's like a rocket ship. Um, so boom, boom, boom. Yeah. yeah, I'm working on, I'm working on an article now, sort of cataloging her relationship with the Oscars and with the Academy. Um, and I mean, from her first nomination in, uh, for Junebug in 2005, through to uh, you know, American Hustle in 2014, which is her fifth nomination, she averages like two, like a nomination every two years, basically. And it's just, it's this really just insane trajectory. And she's really, really incredible in it. And it's just such a fully formed performance and such like an incredible sneak preview basically into what the next almost 10 years of her career would be. She's like, it's a smart performance of a not that smart character. Um, but she's really like winning and kind and chatty. And she's just kind of like a light on the screen and playing this sort of innocent ingenue in a way that is like completely judgment-free. And I think that that same quality shines through, especially in a lot of her early work in the first half of her career. Um, You can see like the nuggets that would become enchanted and doubt and, you know, some of the other, early movies of her career in Junebug. Um, it's a really, it's a really great performance. And, you know, it's, it's not surprising seeing that, um, which it, it was obviously not like a widely seen movie, but to see that and, and it helps explain the crazy kind of trajectory that she went on after that.
2: And, and, and it's a supporting performance too, um, which is, which is interesting about her. She's one of our, our, you know, I think a, a movie star and a recognizable you know name brand movie star who does a lot of supporting work and you can kind of track that is where she really you know it's not even so much that she shines there and it may be a question of that's just what she gets and uh, you know another kind of issue in in hollywood but but you kind of scroll through her filmography and a lot of the the notice she gets is for work that is really you know Kind of helping out the its ensemble work or its supporting work, which is uh, you know somewhat
1: unusual. Five of her six nominations are in supporting.
0: And I will say as like as you look at over her career and if you read interviews with her or watch them, she has a clear desire to challenge herself and to not get too settled and to not get too typecast. So Johnny, you mentioned like the like three of the big movies where she has this sort of innocent naive vibe. And with Enchanted especially, that could have led to a career as a leading woman, a leading actress in that, in those types of movies, but then she shifts and that next phase of her career where she does start to rack up post-doubt, but she gets those supporting nominations. She's, she's taking on much different roles like her role in the master or in the fighter. Uh, and she's it's just taking on that very different persona, a lot more forward, confident, aggressive and it may just be to your point, Carson, it may be that, you know, people wanted to cast her in the lead, but not in roles that really she felt like challenged her. So to get those different types and to break out of the mold she had formed, maybe she had to, you know, she, I mean, she was working with people like David O. Russell and Paul Thomas Anderson. So maybe she prioritized good roles, new characters from really quality directors, even if it was in a supporting role.
1: Well, and I think that part of the strength of the two performances that you just cited in the fighter and the master is the way that they subvert what her star persona very quickly became and the way that she kind of upends expectations about who she is and who, you know, the kinds of characters that she, that people know her for. Um, And so to me, that reads as like a very intentional, uh, you know, move on her part to kind of be to show more versatility and to show more range and to do things that are sort of unexpected, which is really exciting. But I think what, something that Carson said that I think is really interesting is that it's not just that it's supporting work that she's like best known for or most acclaimed for, it's really ensemble pieces, especially. I was, as I was doing, you know, research for this article, I realized that in all but Junebug of her her five other nominated performances, she is nominated alongside at least one other actor from the same movie. She's a really generous performer, and I think because she's so empathetic and because she is such a, an open kind of actor, she really brings out the best in her co-stars, which is, I think, another reason why you see a lot of the same actors working with her again and again. You know, Philip Seymour Hoffman more than once, Emily Blunt a few times, Christian Bale, um, you know, Phoenix. real like, yeah, Joaquin Phoenix, like real heavy hitters, you know? And I think that's a testament to her as a really a really
0: generous actor. All right. Do do you guys want to I'm curious if you I mean she look, she's been nominated for six Oscars. The elephant in the room. She hasn't won. She's getting up there towards the record of most nominations without a victory. Honorary Oscars don't count. And she is
1: she is the second most nominated actress without so a win.
0: Yeah. So my question is, if you had to take one of her performances, not just the best one, but taking into account who else was nominated that year, who won that year. If you have to, if you had to rewrite history, change one of her losses to a win, and then you're allowed to make future changes. You know, so for example, if you want her to win in two thousand five for Junebug over Rachel Weiss for Constant Gardener, you're allowed to then give Rachel Weiss the win for the favorite when she was later nominated. If you hate Regina King. Uh, so, 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 what, what would the change be? I'm. Ha- I'll lead off here since I'm just thrusting this question on you guys. I think I would give. Look, Charlene Fleming is is a huge part of my identity and my relationship with Amy Adams. So I, I do think the easiest is just to give her the win for the fighter over Melissa Leo, but I am going to give her the Oscar for in 2013 for American Hustle yeah 2013 for American Hustle I'm going to take it away from Kate Blanchett who won for Blue Jasmine and I'm going to give her the Oscar for Carol take that away from Brie Larson who won that year for Room and Brie will win. she'll win you know she won at the age of 25 that was five years before Amy Adams was ever even nominated Brie Larson mm. will get her Oscar and if if she doesn't then someone can bring up this podcast and yell at me when I'm 90 years old
1: the obvious immediate counterpoint is that's what we've been saying about Amy Adams for how many years now? She'll, yeah, she'll Fair. win. It'll happen. Yeah. Yeah. Glenn Close. Yeah. Back in 1988, everyone was like, yeah, no, yeah. it's fine. It'll, it'll happen. Yeah, and I mean, the other, the other helpful thing there, um, I think I might also go with American Hustle um, for the reason that Kate Blanchett already has an Oscar. Before that, she won for The Aviator in 2004. Although the, I like the, the domino effects of giving her the win for Carol and, and you know moving that down along. But I think Amy Adams is, this is a boring answer, but I think actually maybe her best performance is in The Fighter. And that's probably the closest she has come to the win. Obviously, we don't know what the real vote totals are, but the fact that she lost to her co-star in the same category and The Fighter was like obviously very well liked. I think maybe but for Melissa Leo's like self-financed consider like glamour shot campaign in in the trades, Amy might have won. But Yeah the thing about Amy Adams that's really interesting is that I don't think she really likes campaigning for awards like she does all of like the roundtables and whatever and she goes to all the things Um, but she never seems like she's having a great time at any of those like press events or whatever I just think she much prefers doing the work to like trying to to sell it in that way and there's obviously like a a political element to to the Oscars and the you know, shaking hands and kissing babies and all of that. And I just don't think she really is into that, which is a bummer, if that's what keeps her from from the win.
0: Well and it's it's really interesting. So she has said that the more people know about her, the less they'll believe her characters. So I, I think you're mm-hmm. you're right that like that that purposeful attempt to stay out of like the spotlight of whether it's campaign award season which involves like you know a lot of celebrity profiles and and interviews or even just stay out of the spotlight in general is like also an effort to increase her authenticity as an actress
2: here's here's my hot take on this oh boy i think i
0: give it to
2: if i was going to give her one it would be for the master and then take away hathaway's and and I don't know, if Anne will get another one, maybe, maybe not. Anne seems like a very happy person. Generally, I'm sure she'll survive, even though her dream didn't come true um, in this case. That's probably the only time though, we talk about how, no, how frequently nominated she is and part of it's bad luck. In some ways, I, I'm looking at all the other nominees, that may be the only time where I would give it to her at all over a different nominee. I don't always like the winner, but there's often another nominee that I would prefer it go to.
1: Who's your 2010 winner for the fighter year? Because that's that's Adam Sorno, Helena Bottom, Carter. Yes. I
2: I would probably give it to either Carter or Steinfeld that year over Amy Adams and Melissa Leo. I
1: I mean, Haley Steinfeld is categorically ineligible for me because she is the lead of that movie. Yeah, we're not talking about. I the, think she has more time than categories. the entire rest of the cast combined. She's just a child, and so okay. Like,
2: yeah. yeah, she's a child. But I also think I don't even like the King's Speech that much. But Helena Bottom Carter is really good, and also doesn't have an Oscar.
0: Do you guys think that if either Amy Adams or Viola Davis hadn't been nominated, like if either one of them was nominated alone for Doubt, that they would have won that year? That, that in that year, Penelope Cruz won. That's tough because like that whole season,
1: right, Penelope Cruz and Kate Winslet were trading off supporting wins that whole time um, because Winslet kept getting nominated in lead for Revolutionary Road right. and supporting for The Reader. She won both Golden Globes. And then the Academy, like for once, rejected uh, some Harvey Weinstein shenanigans and said, no, she's the lead of The Reader and put her in lead. Um, and she won, right? She did. Yeah. Um, so I don't, it's... I don't know that either Amy or Viola really came close that year.
2: Amy is my number five of those nominees, I think. Because I think I think it's actually pretty strong. Because I think Viola uh, crushes it, and she's, she's the best. She's, so she's good. the
1: best thing in this movie.
2: We may disagree. On, I think Felicity Hoffman is like, just on another level in this movie, but Viola is, like, the second.
1: Like, pound for pound. She's in this movie um, for, like, four sure, minutes.
0: Sure, Pound for pound. That's the crucial... Yes, absolutely. Yes, it's, yes. It's hard to argue that, for sure. Um, if she had crushed
1: played Father Flynn, I guarantee she would have crushed it. Taraji is that really good in right.
2: Benjamin Button, which is another movie I don't like that much, but she's excellent in it. Marissa Tomei is really good in The Wrestler, and Penelope Cruz is good in Vicky Vic- Vic- Cristina Barcelona, so I don't know. I think he's str- just had some bad breaks.
0: All right, so switching gears from her performances compared to the other women that she's been nominated against. What about her performances against her own? To take like a very common recent Twitter phenomenon of like making people just get rid of movies that exist. If you had if you could only keep 3 Amy Adams performances, which ones would you keep?
1: I don't think it's that Difficult a choice, actually. I was expecting it to be harder, but three like very quickly rose to the top for me. Um, it's, for me, it's definitely Arrival, which I think she's just incredible in and really, you know, that whole movie rests on her shoulders, um, which maybe makes it more, her most impressive performance because, you know, she does usually play supporting parts, but it is a lead and that whole movie kind of ri- rises and falls on her. Um, so it's that one. Um, Enchanted, which is just really fun. And is a movie, is another movie that is entirely on her shoulders and that I don't think works with any other actress. Um, Because it's her combination of, you know, her comedy chops, she's very funny in a way that we don't really talk about very much. Um, Her singing and the kind of, I mentioned this early on, the way that she approaches the character with no judgment. She could have, it could have very easily been like an ironic tongue in cheek kind of like, "Eh, oh, Disney princess trope's stupid performance and i don't think that works as well as what she does with it uh, and then for the third one it's a coin flip between the fighter and the master which i think are two of her most interesting complicated really great supporting parts
2: yeah i mean i i think it's i'm, I'm pretty much the same i think it's enchanted and the master for sure and then probably probably a rival
0: yeah i'd go with rival of the fighter and then the muppets so
1: she's very good in the muppets yeah don't she's
0: I'd, I'd, I'd rather the master and the fighter, along with the Perfect. rival, but similar. i
1: You're not just going to pick I'm, the fighter three times.
0: <sighs> well, now I feel <laughs> stupid, don't I? That's clearly what I should have done. You're the Idiot. chance
1: to get have three Charlene Flemings.
0: That's the only that's, thing I know about it. She just at that point she just becomes many. Charlene Fleming. If that's her only <laughs> movie role three times. She that's just her. That's who she is now. Honestly, I, Three I Charlene Fleming seems very overwhelming. I'm going to hold
2: out for The Woman in the exactly. Window, though. Like, I will revise this when that movie eventually comes out on Crackle. So.
1: <laughs> so I want to I get back to, to Doubt, especially since it's newer for the two of you guys. I, mean, I watched it again, but I had seen it, you know, back when it came out. I guess I'm just interested in, like, what you, what you guys' overall thoughts are on, on the movie um, and what kind of stands out to you from, from it. Does it feel stagey to you? Because I remember that being no. a criticism of it when it came out and was worried that I would think that now revisiting it and I didn't.
0: No, so I did not. And I was really interested in you all. Like, so, you know, full disclosure, both of you have a lot more experience both performing in and, and just watching and following theater so I, I'm not well-versed in this, but on an instinctive level, it didn't feel like a film stage play to me. And I didn't know. So when I think like film stage play, I like two things popped right into my head and they were Fences and uh, A Streetcar Named Desire, both of which I really like. But both, it, it just stuck out to me that both of them are directors adapting legendary playwrights. Elliot Kazan adapting Tennessee Williams and and Denzel adapting August Wilson. And it, and it was interesting to me that doubt is John Patrick Shanley adapting his own play. And I wonder if the sort of freedom of not feeling you have, like you have to stick true to the spirit of the work of an amazing playwright might've allowed him to adapt more fluidly. But I don't know enough about why I didn't feel like it was a filmed stage play to, to really be able to identify that. So I think, it's, I think it's to a
2: certain extent that. You have a certain freedom when it's your own work. The other thing is John Patrick Shanley is was already a director and an Academy Award-winning screenwriter. Like he won the Oscar for Moonstruck. He and he wrote the screenplays for films like We're Back, A Dinosaur Story, uh, which I found while Wikipediaing John Patrick Shanley. And that's that's crazy to me. I haven't thought about that movie in a really long time. But I watched it probably one hundred times when I, when I was a kid. Can't Same. tell you a thing about it can't tell um, you anything about it i but.
1: recall that i recall that there was a character that had screws for eyes because i had yeah. not heard a lot about it as a child
2: yeah but but yeah so i think that's that's part of it is that he already knows both both worlds and like kind of what you need yeah. to do to have something work on stage and on screen
1: but i think there is something too. what zach is saying that like he's because he's adapting his own work he's like a maybe a little less like precious with it and more willing to jettison things that don't work or change things that need to be changed. And because he has the screenwriting experience that Carson mentioned, he knows how to sort of modulate it for the different medium.
2: Although it is probably, it feels more like a directorial exercise than a screenwriting one, because as I recall, I haven't read the play in a while, but it's pretty similar. There is not a lot new here. And and I think he just knows how to make, he, he seems to have a, a clear ability to make things cinematic, even when it is kind of your, you know, smaller, talkier kind of movie. He seems to just get that. Um, and and he moves people around well, and he places the camera well. and And I think he directs his actors really well. And that's kind of an underrated part of this. I think in something like, Fences where all the actors are really good, they are acting like they're in a play. They are really, really big. Um, and that's not a yes. bad thing. And it's not a bad thing that fences is kind of like a stage play. Um, I've talked about this with my dad before that you wish, sometimes you wish these things would be more cinematic, but. Um, if your worst case scenario is you're getting a good filmed version of a, of a great play, then that's something that you can be pretty okay with. Positive. Um, Yeah, yeah, exactly. Yeah.
1: I think Um, maybe one of the differences is that a lot of the cast members of Fences, including Denzel and Viola, but maybe mm -hmm. the supporting cast too, did Fences together on Broadway as a play. And here, I mean, the actors who did uh, Doubt on Broadway, like Cherry Jones played Sister Aloysius, who is like, a very acclaimed like television actress in addition to being a stage actress. But Shamley casts this movie with movie stars, like movie actors who hadn't done it on stage.
2: Although all, I think all of them have theater backgrounds, which is really interesting. Um, And so are able to kind of, and all of whom have been able to clearly delineate throughout their careers, kind of what's needed for the stage and what's needed for the screen. And and they're very they're all very good at doing that here, which is uh, which is good.
1: I also haven't read the play in a long time, but there are I think pretty significant changes to the script because the play only has the four characters. It's just Sister Licia, yes. Father Flynn, uh, Sister James, and Mrs. Muller. So like anything with the students, with the other nuns, that's all invented for for the movie, and that gives it a lot more texture and a lot more mm-hmm. depth. And there's a lot of, like, little, like, art direction touches and, like, little details that you just can't do on stage because it's too far away. That for me, having grown up and been raised Catholic, the palpable feeling of, like, the change brought by Vatican II and John Paul was, like, very present for me throughout the movie. And, like, Sister Aloysius... the wrong Pope. Yeah, exactly. Sister Aloysius, like, reacting to changes in the church and changes in American society and like race relations. This takes place like I think in like the fifties or sixties. Mm-hmm. Uh, it
0: was just after the JFK assassination, which Yeah, like any point. Yeah.
1: So all of that is like much more I think tangible than it would be on stage. Um, and I think he does little things like that, like the pictures of the Pope and uh, using Donald Muller as a character instead of as somebody who's just like talked about on stage. I think is really effective
2: he understands that the mo- that a movie is is about the what's happening on the margins more so than a, than a play in some ways um, especially a, a play of this nature that is you know a four person cast um, he understands that you can't just translate four people to the screen, there needs to be flavor. And he has the ability to add some of this flavor and a little bit of background. It's a lot more addition, there's not subtraction, there's not really changes, but it is additions of, of little pieces that kind of just make the whole thing work.
0: And, and to bring it to Amy Adams' performance as well, that's, I mean, part of what I really liked the movie was, about the movie was the, Johnny used the word texture that was given to her role as a teacher. Uh, You know, she played a character who felt, you know, people use the term innocent, and I used that term earlier for some of her roles, but it almost felt uh, more timid. Uh, She's amongst company of people far more experienced than her. Uh, And, but when she's in the classroom and when she's with the students, she's confident and that gave another side of her character and she has relationships with them and she turns quickly from like a, a very you know she she uses a very high higher pitched tone of voice when especially talking to her superiors and she goes from being stern with students and then her phone rings and she answers it in a completely different tone of voice and it gives like a layer to her performance just as that entire kind of quote unquote subplot gives a layer to the film
1: and when she's sitting in in Sister Loisius' office during that like first confrontation between her and Father Flynn and she's just kind of caught in the middle, you can see her actively trying to be deferential to both of them. But as they start fighting and they become kind of like these two opposing forces, you can like see on her face and hear in her voice the way that she's like, I don't know, I'm supposed to be subservient to both of these people in the hierarchy of the church and I don't know how to do that with both of them because they are fighting um and she plays that kind of ambivalence and moral conundrum like really really well i remember that year at the oscars was the year that they had um the five former winners in each of the acting categories come out and like do a little thing about each of the nominees and whoopi goldberg did amy adams and like made a bunch of jokes about having also played a nun that were very good. But then she's talking about her performance and this has always stuck with me. She describes her as, you know, a woman very new to the veil who finds herself trapped in the center of a deeply troubling moral mystery. And that just, to me, cuts so clearly into like what this performance is and how she so perfectly plays the role, not just of her character, but that her character plays within the story
0: there's a moment where Philip Seymour Hoffman, Father Flynn gives his ex, he's finally confronted with, uh, with the accusation and he sort of gives his explanation for exactly what happened. And she immediately goes, oh, what a relief that explains everything. Thanks be to God. And it's like the one catharsis she has in this entire film because it's the moment where she can just be, oh, thank God it's over. I don't have to be in the middle of this. And like, that's her major, like that's the, that's the tension for her. It was a great moment. And nobody that, that told is, her that
1: there's still 30 more minutes left in the movie.
0: Right, right, right. yeah,
1: yeah. Poor, no, that, that's
0: moment. the
2: moment I I took note of as well. Like it's one of the few things I wrote wrote down here. Is like the the relief she shows in that scene is so authentic and so expressive. That's I, I, I think that I think that's on maybe her best moment in the film. It is. Um, it's very PR. It, it's a strange. You know, we talk about this. You know, kind of how there's a powerhouse cast here. And I think it's true. It is. It's interesting that we're talking about Amy Adams in the context of this film, because for me, she is the least memorable performance of the four, but we talked about her uh, ability to work in an ensemble and she really is kind of the glue that holds it all together. She's kind of the go between that. If you lose her at all, falls apart and she's having to tread a lot of kind of delicate lines to show you the inner workings of this and the a to b to c of how this all plays out and um and that's that's very impressive it's the least showy it's the least um kind of jump off the screen at you but it is kind of the steadiest in a lot of ways
1: she's racking up a lot of assists
0: it's yeah it's hard to be confident about hypothetical realities but i think i do think there's a world where her performance is the best performance and the biggest performance and the movie's a lot worse. Like, that's not what I want from that performance. Mm. I think she gives exactly the, the performance. Now, again, it's the only performance we know of. It's the only reality we know, but, but to me it was just perfect for the the role.
2: And you let the really big stuff go to people like Hoffman and Streep who have, if it always feels like they've been training their whole lives to be able to like go the right amount of big, like the exact right amount and they are just also, pros at it.
0: Her entire role also builds tension for the audience, because I, like, I can't speak for you guys, but the entire movie, I was like, give me one-on-one Streep and Hoffman. Get out of there, Amy Adams. I want them to go toe-to-toe, and then they finally do, and it's like, ah. Yeah,
1: I, had that, I had that, but with the added layer of, Amy, get out of there. Save yourself. Yeah. <laughs> you don't want to be caught in the middle of this.
0: Yeah, she's the person you sympathize with, for sure.
1: It's interesting that of this cast, I think the only one she went on to work with, again, was Hoffman. In the master i don't think she so she and streep are both in julie and julia but they never uh share a scene but yeah it's it's interesting to look back at this and think about 2008 and like realize that we couldn't have fully appreciated you know what this movie was at that moment in time because you know obviously we nobody could have predicted philip seymour hoffman's untimely death but you know, Amy Adams was still very much on the rise. Viola Davis had been like bouncing around Hollywood for a long time, but this really was a breakthrough for her to get that first Oscar nomination um, that led to like her now mega stardom. And Streep, I think, was like still at like a paltry like 12 Oscar nominations or
0: something back then. So embarrassing. Okay, so that that brings that you 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 brought up my hypothetical a little bit early, but if you had to, if you were responsible for whatever role in a film production is responsible for ordering the names of the cast on the poster. Um, I know that's I, a, a huge level of negotiation between agents and, and, and the producers. And, but what, what would you order the actors at the time of release, 2008? And what, what order, would you order would you put them in today?
1: I love this question because I think about billing order all the time. I think that the order at the time... Was Streep Hoffman, Adams Davis, just like straight up, no whiffs or ands or anything. Do you agree with that? I think for the time, that's probably right. If I, I worry, were to,
2: that's that's how I'd do it.
1: Yeah, if I were to do it now, I would probably do Streep Adams with Viola Davis and Philip Timur Hoffman. I
2: would I would do it now street Adams, Davis
1: with Hoffman. I would really, I would totally separate him. Yeah, he is pretty. I mean, he is. It's also kind of mm-hmm. bananas to me that he was a supporting actor nominee for this movie because I think he's very much a lead. And on on stage, the actor who played Father Flynn was nominated for lead at the Tonys. Um, although that they have a whole different system for figuring that out, it's a borderline case. But I would I would call him a lead of this movie his role is just so big and he just kind of looms so large the whole kind of plot hinges on him yeah um, he
2: i really think it's i think it's streep's movie though i mean in terms of like, sure she is the driver and she is like it, it quickly becomes her movie and i do i i it's agree operating with in a supporting wo-
0: is that operating in a world though where there can only be one lead like yes maybe it's her movie but like he's still, like the movie still rests so heavily on his shoulders.
1: I think it's kind of a Silence of the Lambs situation where like the whole thing is from her perspective, it's her POV, but you know, everything she does and says and you know, is focused on is him. And even though he may not have as much screen time and we may not really see things from his side very much if at all, um, his just his presence and his significance to the narrative is so huge that for me, I think he's, he's a co-lead with her. And so that's why I would give him the and and Viola the with, because she's, I mean, she's a huge star now, but it's a pretty small part. And so it's with her, and then he gets the and at the end as like the centerpiece, you know, posthumous, but also he's like, he is a lead of this movie.
0: It does notably, I mean, the film notably starts with him on a sermon and ends with her, expressing him on a sermon of about doubt in her, in which he gives a classic priest joke, which is like, Doubt is what my sermon's about today. God, so, all of
1: those sermons just so brought, many small me, moments. brought me back to yeah. so many childhood Sundays with my very Irish Catholic priests growing up.
0: Did you just, just? Uh, I, I was just reminded when I was thinking about the movie opening on, on Hoffman's sermon on doubt and closing on Streep expressing her doubt over what he did did it come across as a an effective moment or a corny moment where she literally says out loud at the end i i feel doubt like she she says the movie title and she expresses it in a very like this is the theme of the movie moment it's one of those things where
2: if the movie you know the movie's called doubt which is why it's a problem. But if it wasn't <laughs> called doubt, then it wouldn't be an issue. I mean, that's always the problem with the say the, you know, say the name of the movie in the movie, which came
1: first. Yeah, yeah I um, think it really, I think it really works. I think mo- because of because of Streep and just, you know, how I think she's really great in this movie. Um, it's one of her, I think, better, like late stage career performances she is just such a force of nature for so much of this movie just like barreling forward like a like a runaway train basically and in that last scene when she's sitting there on the bench with amy adams she like you start to see the cracks and the lack of confidence and the you see it creep in before she says it which is why i think it's so powerful because she lays the groundwork for it in that scene
0: it's very difficult to roll. It's like honestly difficult to roll your eyes when you're when you're empathizing with someone so strongly, and she gets you to do that to feel the doubt before to feel what that she's feeling it before she gets to the line that.
1: And it's the first time in the movie that you really empathize with her because otherwise she's kind of terrifying,
0: right. and totally closed off as well. Yeah.
1: Um, one of the things I circling back to to Amy Adams. One of the really quest- interesting questions that Carson brought up before we started was you know, who is, who are, you know, historical comparisons for, for Amy Adams as as an actor or as a star. Um, and I was thinking about that earlier today. And I think it's really challenging to come up with somebody who kind of occupies the same kind of star persona and, you know, acting presence as as Amy Adams, you know. So I was interested to hear if, if anybody came to mind for you guys.
2: Uh, I, I think it's, it's partially just because I, I think I'm, I'm seeing the two of them, you know, work together. But Meryl is the one I think of. Uh, I think I think her and Meryl are very similar in their ability. They they really kind of dig deep and and they make you believe in a character. But I don't think either of them are super transformative. Um, they're very authentic without being transformative. They you you never lose sight of the fact that it is. Meryl Streep or Amy Adams, but, but they also make you believe in the character, which I think is different than some of our movie stars. Like for instance, I think, you know, later day Tom Cruise is you, you never lose sight of the fact that he's Tom Cruise, but you never quite believe that he's Ethan Hunt or whatever. It's just, that's Tom
1: Cruise. Whereas- Right, it doesn't help that it's actually Tom Cruise jumping out of airplanes or flying it, it, in space or whatever.
2: Exactly. I, I think they, they have, there, there's a range there. They have the movie star thing of you, you always know it's them and you're going to refer to their character probably, you know, as the actor's name. But but they aren't doing the, you know, the kind of Daniel day lewis Joaquin Phoenix, you know, do all sorts of weird physical stuff. Like they're just making you believe it you know, kind of simultaneously.
0: And I think there's something to be said. Like, I think it's very interesting. I think there is a certain amount of gendered conversation around like method acting. But, you know, I was reading a bit and Amy Adams stays in character her entire time on the set. She creates a backstory for her character starting from the age of three years old, which is something she was taught by her acting coach to give her characters, you know, to empathize with them and to give them layers. And yet those are never stories in the press because she's never out there like making a huge big stink of the fact that she's doing her job. The best way that she knows how to do it at least. And, and no one's think, making a stink about it for her, which I think I, happens with yes, like your D. Lewis's yes, stuff.
1: Yes, no, sure Nobody's enough, talking about yes, how much she's suffering for her art.
0: Right. Right. Nobody. yes, exactly. And yet I, like, I, I do, I do not think, like, I, I think her acting is just as good and just as quality and just as believable as, you know, some of those people who quote unquote disappear completely into their roles.
1: Yeah, I was trying to think of like who occupies a similar kind of space in, you know, in Hollywood and in the movies as she does. And I think that, you know, I was looking back at some of like the golden age Hollywood stars and there are people like Olivia de Havilland or, you know, Ingrid Bergman who have similarly very like warm and empathetic screen presences. But the two of them in particular have like, also like a very kind of like upper crust, like a European sophistication that Amy doesn't have. I find her presence very down to earth. And then looking at it from the Oscar perspective, as we've said many times, she is a six-time nominee, zero-time winner, which has been only matched by Thelma Ritter, um, who was also a six-time nominee, never winner, also all in supporting. But Thelma Ritter is like a brassy like New York broad and like I don't think was really quite the actor that Amy is. And then Deborah Carr, who is similarly like very like British and sophisticated, and Glenn Close with Seven. And Glenn is like icy and like kind of scary in her persona in a way that is very, very different from Amy Adams. So the one that I actually set the people I actually settled on as being the closest are I think Jennifer Jones, who was a really big star in the 50s and what kind of similarly straddled the line between being like a very famous movie star, but also like a very serious actress. She was nominated for five Oscars, but similarly hated talking about her personal life and didn't really like the whole celebrity side of being in the movies. She just liked being in movies. And Shirley Jones, who was the mom in the Partridge family, but also like became famous as an ingenue playing a lot of like innocence and naive characters. She started off in musicals and then later in her career started playing, you know, tougher, angrier, more quote unquote adult characters. Um, And so looking at, you know, those careers side by side, I think those were the ones that stood out as most similar
0: to me. I did think it was interesting that a couple, I saw a couple people who, you know, I was reading a bit about what different critics said about her Especially early in her career, I think it's very telling to look at the way that critics talk about actresses earlier in early in their career, because they do really try to slot them into like a role uh, based on on past comparisons. And I saw a couple of people talked about Amy Adams as like like literally exactly what you just said she isn't, as a quote unquote fast talking broad, like as Rosalind Russell in his Girl Friday. And I think what's so interesting about her is that. I think you can point to moments where she has that, but I don't think, like, in no way, I agree with you, in no way would I, like, group her in with that type of actress. And and that's what made it so hard for me. I, I mean, I was, like, mostly unable to come up with a comparison that I felt pretty passionate about because of what I mentioned earlier. She has shifted from taking on roles as, like, the classic ingenue roles, where she's more innocent, and naive and transitioning to these uh, a bit more nuanced and complex supporting roles, uh, almost gaining in confidence as both an actress and in her characters. And then her more recent roles have been a lot heavier, a lot more introspective, uh, focused on grief and sort of the externalization of it between arrival and sharp objects and and similar roles. And so it's it's just, it's very difficult for me to like put her at one specific spot on the map.
1: Which is maybe why Streep is a good comparison, um, Carson, yep, yep. because she similarly has a, like a really versatile kind of wide ranging career from comedies to dramas to you know all different kinds of movies and
0: performances. It also like to, to, I mean, this is probably a little insane, but one name that popped into my head and I threw away, but I'll just say it now is, is actually Leo uh, in part because he, he started as like a, a pretty boy star. Like everyone wanted Brad and Leo in their movies. Get Brad and Leo, you know, for when, when I know when, when uh, Matt Damon and Ben Affleck were trying to sell Goodwill Hunting, everyone read their script and was like, oh, this will be great with Brad and Leo. And it's, and it's like, you know, he had that sort of role. And then he, it was almost like he realized, like, oh, this isn't what I want to be. I want to be a serious capital A actor. And so he had, like, you know, he, he, he did Catch Me If You Can. He did Revolutionary Road. He did, you know, Wolf of Wall. He worked with Scorsese multiple times in, in Wolf of Wall Street and Gangs in New York. And then, he's just sort of you've clearly seen him transition and then also as an actor I never lose Leo but I still feel like he is investing himself in these roles he's taking 10% Leo the same 10% in every role and then 90% of the character so you always have that little bit but then like you're really getting a genuine performance and and like that's a little bit how I feel about Amy Adams
1: So what you're telling me is that if Amy wants that Oscar, she's got to freeze to death and like eat a caribou liver or something like that in the Revenant 2 Revenant. No,
0: she just has to tell people. I'm sure she's already done that. She's eaten so many livers. She just has (laughs) to tell people that she's doing it.
1: That was all her prep for doubt. Just like nonstop raw deer. Yes.
0: (laughs) This is how terrible it's going to feel to be between an arguing mom and dad, Philip Seymour Hoffman and Meryl Streep.
1: Yeah, the two of them just kept force-feeding it to her. It was a hostile work environment. It's Brutal.
0: His nails were clean knows that. now, so that's I can't okay. believe w- we're revealing that news on this Why, podcast. Not breaking.
1: Carson, soundtrack. I can't believe you brought up his nails. That's the, that's the part of the movie that actually, that's where it loses me. I can't, I, I can't, I can't wait. I
2: was waiting. Something. I was trying to figure out a way to shoot him. Oh, on that God. I wrote made it, made it down so like uncomfortable. four times. It's so weird. Honestly, that's the most damning piece of evidence. All right, here's... I've got a hypo for us. Which... Of the following cast members of We're Back, a Dinosaur Story, <laughs> do you think should have an Oscar? Now, you can't choose John Goodman, who's the lead, but well, you can that's choose
1: objectively the correct answer.
2: But you can choose any of the following people who a have a Wikipedia page Felicity Kendall, who? Charles Fleischer, who, who? Uh, oh, I know so who that he's is. the guy who is the weird basement dude in Zodiac. So he should have an Oscar for that. Uh, Walter Cronkite, Jay Leno, Julia Child, Yeardley Smith, Martin Short, Rhea Perlman, and Larry King. That's the cast of that movie.
1: Wow, Yeardley Smith, that's Bart Simpson, right?
2: Uh, I think it is Lisa Simpson. Oh,
0: sorry. Uh, Hmm. Apologies to Yardley Smith. Um, so clearly deserves uh, at least an Emmy for making you believe it was Bart and uh, I mean, yeah. not Lisa. So the voice acting alone is just. That is, I have forgotten
1: most of the names, I'm going to be honest. Yeah, so I'm going to go with Ray Perlman. Um, she should have an Oscar for uh, being married to Danny DeVito. That's, that is an accomplishment. She deserves it.
0: Reasonable. I'm just going to go with Walter Cronkite. Because yeah, that's that's the right answer. Just for the voice, Most trusted newsman in America.
1: Yeah,
2: his name was Captain New Eyes in the film.
1: <laughs> so Amy Adams has co-starred with Emily Blunt three times. Um, they were both in Charlie Wilson's War. They were both in The Muppets, um, and they starred together in Sunshine Cleaning. They're like roughly the same age. I think Emily Blunt is great, though she has kind of the flip side track record with Amy um, at the Oscars where she has criminally never been nominated despite being great. So if you could swap any two of their roles, Amy Adams and Emily Blunt, which ones would you want to see
0: them trade? It's tempting to say A Quiet Place, but I'm going to go with Your Sister's Sister because I don't know if any of you have seen that. Yeah, so it is a phenomenally intimate and visceral Lynn Shelton movie with Mark Duplass in which he goes to a vacation house with his, I believe, and this is testing my memory, but I believe his girlfriend and his her sister. And her sister is his, like, she, like, they grew up together. They've been best friends forever. And she's secretly in love with him. And he is secretly, but isn't even aware on his own that he's in love with her. And it's the saga that... Takes place in this mostly one location, and just a very personal interior performance from Emily Blunt. And I just would love to see. And I, I also just really, really like that movie, so I'd like to see Amy Adams do that. And I'm gonna put Emily Blunt in the Fighter because we need more Charlene Flemings. <laughs> That's
1: a.
2: Those are good. Those are good picks. I would hard just to, hard like, to argue. For for fun, I'd just swap their News. I would just put Amy and Sicario and Emily and Arrival and see what happens. Even that's, though I think they're oh. both very great in their respective movies. And I actually, that's in, good. Blunt is really good in Sicario. She's um, really good, yeah. And, and it's kind of her persona, I think, lends itself to that. She is a bit more of like a wide-eyed, like hard-nosed, but like wide-eyed persona. But I think swap them, see what happens.
1: Yeah, that's really... That's really interesting i think blunt reads a lot tougher on screen and at least to me and so i think that would be re- a really interesting way to see arrival with like a little a different approach so my my first one is easy i would want to put amy adams in into the woods instead of emily blunt who i really like and who i think does like a perfectly fine job um, in that movie um, but amy played baker's wife in a production of into the woods in shakespeare in the park and i just amy should do more musicals and i would like her to be in into the woods and then i think i would want to put amy or no sorry i would want to put emily blunt in the master i think that that's probably the one of amy's roles that she is most suited to kind of knock out of the park because she is a little bit she can she can do the kind of like cold calculating you know domineering you know role really well
2: See, I'm not, I'm not sold on this read of Emily Blunt, which I think is really interesting. Like that, that doesn't like track for me.
1: Uh, she's got this kind very of very much at all. She's got this intensity, like a, like a hardness to her. See, I like think so I I actually, Adams I, I is actually, having more
0: of a hardness. So I agree with Johnny just because yeah. I grew up terrified of the cold calculating Mary Poppins. So like I very <laughs> much agree with that. Mary Poppins is mean. Paul. Well.
1: <laughs> she's enough. A scary lady. I mean, t- I, I think a lot of my, my read on Emily Blunt comes from um, The Devil Wears Prada specifically. Right. Um, I just think,
2: I think that's like weirdly out of character in some ways, but- She's um, so good in that.
0: She's great. She's, I love her in that. All right. All right. Before we get to categorizing, I want to, I want to dedicate a little time to a, a, a traditional sca- segment that we skipped, which is describe Amy Adams as an actress, as an auteur in one sentence- or in, as is usual with Carson's case, as many sentences as you want, because <laughs> the rules don't mean anything. I use semicolons, so. <laughs> a, lot, a lot of M
1: dashes in there.
2: I've got I've got mine. Uh, and okay. I touched on it, I touched on it earlier. Um, I think her thing is, her, her style is authenticity without transformation. She's able to reach the core of the character without ever making you lose sight of her as an actor, and she can do it at all levels Running the gamut from basically cameo to lead, there one sentence.
0: Yeah, and we and we did we did discuss that earlier. So that's that's a good one. Johnny, do you do you have something? I would describe her as I would say
1: Amy Adams is an actor of uncommon empathy who plays her characters with a complete lack of judgment.
0: You know that really got me, and I mentioned I wanted to say it at the time, but when you mentioned that complete lack of judgment, the first time you brought it up was in the context of. Enchanted. Either was it Enchanted? Yeah, yeah. one of her early movies, and it was very June interesting. As well, yeah, yeah, yeah. So it was Jumanji and Enchanted, and you talked about it in the context of some of her early roles. But it was really interesting to me that the first role that came to mind was Lynn Cheney in Vice, which yeah, is uh, a role that is it would be way too easy to bring judgment to. The movie certainly brings <laughs> judgment to her and 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 her husband. But she as an actress does not give in to that very, very easy, what, what would have been a very tempting, easy move to, to satirize, but she really tries to empathize with her as a human and, and tries not to judge her in her performance and at, at bookends of her career, I, I thought that was a great point.
1: I think that comes through too in The Fighter. Um, yep. I think you could very easily see a lot of, you know, A-list Hollywood actresses coming at uh, Charlene Fleming, who we've name dropped in this podcast, I think more than Amy Adams coming at it from a much more judgmental and kind of looking down their nose at this, at this character, you know, kind of the way that that Melissa Leo and that the sisters do in that movie. Um, And Amy never does, which is part of the reason it's so great.
0: Okay. So I, so I, I have a quasi sentence, which is that I, I sort of think that, I think that she takes the emotional arc of her characters very seriously. And because of that, she has an emotional honesty that, Elevates her performances beyond the sum of their parts, and sentence and like the the doubt example for me is that she has she uses a lot of physical ticks uh, for her character in doubt she wrings her hand a lot she avoids uh, eye contact when she's uncomfortable her her tonal changes when she's confident with children versus a higher tone when she's with her superiors, but. To me, the performance just elevates beyond the technical aspects of it, which are often in her performances sound to to phenomenal, but there's always something a bit more than the sum of its parts uh, because of that emotional honesty. And I guess another way of put it is a refusal to judge the characters and just be them.
1: Yeah, for me, a moment in doubt where that really comes through is the, there's the scene where she is like, being very firm with the students and like yelling at them the way that Sister Alicia kind of has told her to, and then realizes that that's not who she is and feels bad and apologizes to the students. And in that like split second, when she realizes that her whole body language changes and her voice changes and like all the things that you're describing all kind of happen and are encapsulated in that, that one scene.
0: All right, so if we've all got a one-sentence description of Amy Adams, the auteur, then we must be able to very easily categorize her, although I will go ahead and admit that my categorization has shifted throughout the course of this conversation, so. So I my, my summary, I think,
2: uh, lends itself to two, to two categories, and I, I actually can't quite figure out which one I'd like to put her in. I think my the, the idea of her her authenticity lends itself well to her being categorized as a realist um I, I think that is something that really comes through for me uh, just her her ability to to kind of show you know like you said that there's no judgment it's uh, it's this is this is what this person is take it or leave it i'm I'm doing the best I can to show you who who they are without Uh, bringing my own perhaps perception of it uh, to them but then her we talked a lot about her ability to to kind of work in an ensemble and play a supporting role or play a lead role and make everyone around her better and and be the glue and and so I think she also fits really well into the anti-auteurist category we have set up and and to be honest I can't I'm curious what you guys think because I I can't decide between the two of them right now
0: so i was i was leaning actually towards a third which uh, was expressionist but i like this conversation and in part the way that johnny talked about amy adams convinced me on anti a and the only thing i'll add to what carson said is I think you can tell a lot. I, you know, I know that the idea of the auteur theory is about someone as an artist, but I do think you can tell a lot about an artist by who they are in, in real life. And the fact that she is, she's not spotlight averse in the way that just makes people pay more attention to you. Like, oh, I'm humble and I know it. Like she she genuinely seems to do the things that she thinks will help the film. And she enjoys talking to people and talking to reporters, but she she really doesn't seem to enjoy being cast in the spotlight and having a celebrity, you know, uh, identity beyond just her profession as an actress. She has a profession as an actress and she has her family. And that to me informs a lot of how I think about her performances in terms of like figuring out a category. And that's why I think that anti role fits really her entire persona.
2: And to be clear, when we when we talk about the anti-auteurs, um, we we do not think of that as as a, a lesser auteur category. No. We we think of that as a, again one of the prime examples of how to make your mark and stand out. She stands out by doing all
0: the little things so well. I think our example person is Jonathan Director Jonathan Demme. Correct. Correct.
1: Yeah. So that's that's interesting. I hadn't really thought about the the anti auteurs category, but that everything that you both said makes a lot of sense. Um, I did consider initially the, the realists um, categorization for a lot of the reasons that Carson um, said, but to me, some of her most interesting and most successful performances are pretty stylized um, and really working in kind of a heightened mode. And so that sort of led me away from the realists group and more into the Expressionists. Um, I think that, you know, the one thing that all three of us have kind of kept coming back to is the, you know, emotional honesty and openness that she puts into um, all of her performances. And um, something that I don't think we've talked really much about, but that is very present for me in all of her work is that she has a real, you know, warmth and vulnerability on screen that you know the to me just like you know, is very expressive she's always feels very guided by kind of the emotional truth of her character and so that for me i think i would still put her in the expressionist category but i do really like the idea of her as kind of like the glue guy um i don't know who the appropriate basketball comparison would be but you know as as somebody who puts you know the success of the project and you know of you know cast cohesion you know, above, uh, you know, trying to put a personal stamp on, on the work.
0: Marcus Smart, by the way. There you go. As the resident Celtics fan. Steve Nash. Right. <laughs> Steve Nash was an MVP, two-time MVP. And you so is Amy guy. Adams. You're, you're okay, saying you know she's not, fair. N- okay, no, okay. Yeah, I backed myself about into a corner. We talked about her I backed back. myself into a corner. I understand that I've done that and it was a mistake and I'm gonna mute myself.
1: Future Basketball Hall of Famer, Amy Steve Nash Adams. <laughs>
0: Well, we're at, a, we're at loggerheads.
1: I mean, it seems like the majority view is anti-auteurs, and I will write a passionate dissent uh, for the Expressionists.
0: All right, so we're going with anti-auteur Jonathan Demme's successor, Amy Adams.
2: All right, I think that means it is time for the letterbox game. So, as a reminder, each of us is going to pick one actor or crew member from the film we discussed, in this case, Doubt, And the others are going to have to guess their top three highest rated feature films on Letterboxd. No TV, no unreleased movies. We're going to skip Doubt and we're going to skip the MCU because we've decided that is just too too much and it's not fun. Uh, But we will give plenty of hints if the guesser gets stumped. All right, so this movie was shot by legendary cinematographer and now Oscar winner, Roger Deakins. So, for the two of you, can you give me Roger Deakins' top three highest rated films, according to the Letterboxed
1: user? So, I feel like his, like, his most, his stuff he's most known for is work with the Coens, especially. Right. right. And I feel like the Letterbox user base is very high on the Coen brothers, in general.
0: Am I... I'm... Um, halfway remembering he, he did no country yeah correct because that would be the one that i'd go to for them as the highest letter like i assume that's their highest letterbox rated movie yes i would yeah. guess that as well they probably have a lot around like the high threes low fours but mm-hmm.
1: i think we there. i think
0: we start with no country that feels like the the safest oh, okay. yeah great right? let's get that out there build some confidence mm-hmm. yeah, feel yeah. Really, start to feel really good or realize that we're totally off track either way <laughs>
2: All right, so it's your guess No Country for Old Men? Yes. Yeah. That is correct.
0: Number two with a 4.3. Number two? Wow, 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 wow. Does Letterboxd like Blade Runner 2049 that much? Because they should. Um, in terms of non-Coen Brothers movies, I know... So obviously Blade Runner 1917, which is probably not going to be on there. I know he did The Assassination of Jesse James...
1: He did Revolutionary Road and The Reader. Wait,
0: sorry. What What was that movie you said, Zach? <laughs> the Assassination of Jesse James by the Coward Robert Ford. Oh, okay. You, sorry.
2: You, you, you didn't do the whole title, so. <laughs>
0: Just mute yourself for this entire... It's so rude. <laughs> we got to throw a guess out there. What's your instinct tell you? Go. Say it now. Inside Llewyn Davis. All right. Let's do it. I was going to go far, about him.
1: I think I'm wrong about him not shooting it, so... I was going to say, you, you just pitched me on him not shooting it. You are correct that he did not shoot it. God
0: damn it. That's rude. That's rude. Ugh. That's rude. Nothing could have made him enjoy this moment more than than that. All right, I'm going to exhaust our, our Coen brothers, and I'm going to take my turn and go with Fargo. Go for it. Fargo, number three, nice. with a
2: 4.2.
0: Okay. Okay. Wow. So what is higher than... Presumably, any Coen Brothers movie. Maybe it, it is. Can't. Oh, we've got we've gotten one wrong, so we get a hint. We get our, our letterbox scores for this movie. I'll give you it's your letterbox help. scores. Okay, cool.
2: Uh, Zach, you gave it a four. Johnny, you gave it two and a half.
0: Hmm. What did you give it, Carson?
2: I gave it a. I gave it a four.
0: Wow. Oh, this well, is. Well, that could be, that love. could be anything. Any score outside three to four and a half is so fascinating to me. Yeah. <laughs> the, lead,
2: <laughs> the lead actor of this movie is the lead actor of one Cohen Brothers movie. And I think that may be the only Cohen
1: Brothers movie he is in. And, and, and what we're trying to guess is not that Cohen Brothers movie.
2: And it's not that Cohen Brothers movie. Great. I will give you another hint related. We talked about this actor in the context of Anchorman on our Adam McKay podcast.
0: Miller's Crossing. It's not that. It's not Blood Simple. It's not Raising Arizona. Barton Fink. It's not John Turturro. We've already kind of established that. Sucker Proxy. Tim Robbins. Tim Robbins. Tim Robbins is in Anchorman. Is he?
1: Is he, he in like the big fight
2: scene? He's the public access news guy.
0: Yeah. Okay. <laughs> I don't think I ever knew that was him. So Tim, um, the... Not the player. I guess it could be Shawshank or Mystic River.
1: Oh, it's it must be Shawshank.
0: Oh, two and a half. Yeah, that I must like that be. I don't like that movie. Which is like a totally reasonable position to hold. I think yeah. most people agree. Yeah, okay, so Shawshank.
2: That is correct, with a 4.4.
1: Yeah, that is eight, eight hours shit. of my life that I'll never get back watching Shawshank. See,
2: That's
0: I just so want to point really. out there. See, that was a good <laughs> hint. That was a good hint. All right. I've got I've got mine for you 2 We're gonna yes. we're we're gonna we're gonna go with the queen, Merle. Merle. God, she's been in so many movies. Okay. Top three. Yeah. That's the thing is, Meryl has often been in not large numbers. Good do be Likely to, to fail. Yeah, she's so, often
1: better than the movies she's in.
2: I would guess maybe the Deer Hunter is pretty
0: high up there. That's a good Carson, guess. Could you give me a quick reminder of the rules?
2: Uh, all her appearances as Iron Man, not allowed. Cause that's MCU. <laughs> thank uh, you.
1: You're thinking no, uh, of, uh, Robert Downey Jr. As the Iron Lady.
2: Uh, no unreleased movies, no shorts, no documentaries and not doubt.
0: Okay. Thank you. All right. I've got her top three ready. Okay. and yeah. I'm ready for failure.
2: Okay. So, uh,
1: your Hunter's yeah, is a good I place think- to start. I think, um, yeah. I think maybe like, Silkwood is very good. Um, mm-hmm. People really like Adaptation.
2: Oh, Adaptation's a really good one. I think Adaptation and Deer Hunter are like letterboxed yeah. things. You have like your Mamma Mia's that are... Mm. Like, I think Ironic I think babes. we talked about these. I think they're like 3.6s, which could be like high on Merrell's weirdly. Yeah. Um I like both Deer Hunter and Adaptation as our first two guesses, to be honest. I'm down with that. So we'll go
0: go Deer Hunter. Deer Hunter, number three. Okay. Good work. Eligible. 4.1. Okay. Cool. And then Adaptation. Yeah. The internet loves Charlie
1: Kaufman.
0: The internet does love Charlie Kaufman to the tune of Meryl Streep's eligible number four. Damn yeah. E at
2: 4.0. Yeah.
0: We'll guess Silkwood. I am
2: going to subsequently side bet that Silkwood is a 3.7.
0: <laughs> Silkwood is, Carson, you're wrong. It's a 3.6. Damn it. Close enough. All right all right give us our give me a random letterbox movie and i would guess 3.6 probably sure sure that's like the the tip of the bell curve
2: um okay so give us so that's a wrong answer two wrong answers i guess Mm -hmm. so let's get some some letterbox scores
0: all right so letterbox score for the number two movie carson two and a half johnny uh you have not given it a score Mm. but you have you have watched it okay Interesting. which is she in
2: like fantastic mr fox
1: yeah
2: that's my guess yeah that's
1: it that's
0: it damn it <laughs> if i knew <laughs> as soon as i saw two and a half i was like he's gonna know it's wes anderson oh i forgot <laughs> she was in there <laughs> we went through oh, yeah so that's 4.1 it's number two okay all right okay um, see
2: going going back very helpful all
0: right okay Alright. What's our, our scores? Alright, uh letterbox scores. Carson, four and a half. Johnny, five. This must be
2: very obvious.
0: Yeah.
1: The post. Oh yeah. Wait, did you give five stars to the post? Maybe. I don't remember, but it's possible. I was half kidding. I I definitely think so. That doesn't seem like a thing I would do, but maybe. No,
2: I think I gave it four and a half. But man, I think there's some really obvious one we must be missing. Oh, oh,
1: oh, oh! Damn it! It is uh, AI, artificial intelligence.
0: Yeah. Yeah. AI. Three point five.
2: It seems we are wrong, though.
0: Fuck. 3.5. 3.5 God
1: damn it. That
2: is unfortunate. I was so Carson, you gave that
0: movie 5 stars. Johnny uh, you gave damn. that movie 5 stars. You should have known Carson, you don't remember your Pantheon movies? I
2: know, I know. Ugh. I got I so, so excited <clears throat> Damn it.
1: Sorry. I misled you. Okay. That means we get another hint. We do get another hit,
0: <laughs> And we need it.
1: I'll give the post 4.
0: I don't, yeah, I didn't this movie made 200 million dollars at the box office and was nominated for 6 Academy Awards. My next clue is going to be to read Johnny's letterbox review. So I hope you get another one wrong. Did it just win any,
1: or was it was just
0: nominated? That wasn't part of the clue. No. Mm. Also, uh, Carson, you did give the post four and a half stars. That's, That's good right. call. Johnny gave it four stars.
1: I didn't think I'd give it. Five.
0: And it has an overall score of three point four. The non-Meryl actors in this movie have combined for double digit oscar nominations over their careers this is gonna be
1: really yeah i'm gonna be so mad when we find out what this is
2: all right Um, tough stuff boys we're like close to having to
0: give up on what's
2: clearly like a movie we know
0: yeah want me to read johnny's review yeah please (laughs) carson carson you didn't give a review no. Does my review okay. say the name of the movie in it? I just want to capture the feeling of watching this movie in a bottle and drink it every day. Fuck me. Oh, I'm so happy you don't know it right away. This is the best moment of my you, life. You, you wrote that and you don't know the answer?
1: No. You're killing me. Ah. To, to be fair,
0: he's correct. That is that is a correct review, accurate. What
1: is it? Wait, what did I you, you see-
0: get what did you give it? I gave the movie five stars. I've seen it multiple times. Okay, so it's one that
2: you two love a little more than me. I mean, you gave it four and a half stars. No, I know, no, but yeah, that but that for is sure. helpful. Yeah.
0: Uh, I remember is, she, writing in, is that. she in no. Is she in? This movie is not adaptation, but it is an adaptation. Oh, oh. It's
1: fucking uh, it's little women.
0: Yes it is. Oh,
2: yeah. Yeah.
0: Ah! Yeah. Yeah, that's tough. The most recent performance by Mary Street. I forgot she's in that. Yeah. Fair, fair. There's obviously she has a smaller role, but oh. All
1: right. Hit us. All right. So I am gonna go with Viola Davis. Okay. And I right. will I'll tell you up front that Doubt is in her top three so okay. we'll skip over that one Widows help? and you gotta, you yeah. gotta pick one guy
0: well we're brainstorming <laughs> I mean Widows is better but Widows the help I seem to Fences. recall the help being really high from a past iteration Yeah, it higher than I expected right. at least yeah Fences. that must have been our um, chest stain
1: um, suicide yes, squad so. yeah I like uh, sure let's guess the help alright the help uh the help is number two with a three point eight
0: okay okay so we've got we've got some low ones that's helpful
1: I think
2: that may only that may be around where widows is, but it could be the number three i
0: guess I'm fine going with widows yeah let's just let's throw it out there widows yeah, I think that makes sense
1: uh widows is the number seven eligible film
0: okay. that's really exciting. Wow,
1: to me personally.
2: Yeah.
1: And also to me.
2: As the number one fan of Widows of all time.
1: Yeah. Widows has for- a three point Widows has a three point six. So it's oh, like that's a tight just cluster what is here. Happening.
0: That is whew. Troop Zero. That's an Amazon movie that they constantly try to get me to watch when All I, the time.
2: For like a year.
0: Just for a very long time. <laughs> yeah.
2: Suicide Squad?
1: It is her lowest rated film. Um, that's good to know. Uh,
2: I mean, it could be fences. Could be. It
0: could. Oh, my God.
1: Be.
0: Oh, we got one wrong. We get a hint. We get our letterbox scores for one of the two. Yes.
1: Oh. Okay. Uh, for the number three movie. Mm-hmm. Uh Carson, you gave it four and a half stars. And Zach, you have not seen it.
2: Yeah. Now I don't think it is. I don't know. Maybe we should just guess Fences. I don't think it's Ups- the number Ups- three, but I guess it could be the number one.
0: Ups- so there's no way. Yeah, I mean, we can guess it and get another clue. Uh, fences.
2: Clear-
1: yeah, Fences. Fences is the number eight movie on the list. Okay. Sure. Yeah. sure with another clue. So your scores for the number one are four from Zach, and four and a half from Carson. I have not rated it, but it would probably be in that range for me as well. Is she in traffic? She's,
0: uh, I haven't seen that. Well, I know. I she's have. in Solaris, and she's oh. in Ocean's Eleven. Ooh, Solaris. I seen Ocean's Eleven. Have you, seen Sol- Oceans 11. have you seen Solaris? I have not seen Solaris or Traffic. Have you rated either of those okay. really high? So I don't
2: I don't actually think she's in traffic, but she's definitely in Solaris. And that I would have given
0: either a four or a four and a half. And I don't wait, I thought which. she wasn't. I thought she, I think she's in traffic.
2: I don't remember. I'm I don't just
0: remember. trying to like I my problem is I can't remember visually. Yeah. I have to remember she, from like reading it.
2: She is definitely in Solaris,
1: and you all haven't right, we seen can that. Start there, yeah. So Solaris. Right. Uh, Solaris is the number twenty-seven movie on her. Crap! Like, people, that, people didn't like that.
0: We, we should have stopped and remembered that people didn't like. Yeah. That. Well, some people did. A lot of pe- some people did.
2: I mean, we get a we get another hint now, though,
1: because we guessed wrong. Yeah, oh, you do. Okay. That's true. So one of the two that you guys have left, um, we have talked about tonight already, and the other has not been mentioned. The number three movie received an acting nomination,
0: not for Viola Davis. Have we named either of the movies in the context of this discussion over Viola? You have not named either of them in the
1: context of the Viola discussion, but we have it's talked tough. about one of them during the Letterboxd game.
2: Who else did we... Deacons. Yeah.
0: Sheena Cohen Brothers. Well, we talked about
2: No Country and no, it's not
0: Fargo and
2: Shawshank.
0: Is she an enemy? She's in Prisoners. She's in Prisoners. Oh, Prisoners. Yeah. yeah it's yeah. definitely Prisoners. Damn it. That's right. It's definitely Prisoners. <laughs> Her number
1: one is Prisoners. Yeah.
0: Uh, Pri- okay. We,
2: no, no one's ever gotten Prisoners correctly. That's <laughs> the takeaway.
0: That is the yeah. reason that I did it can't wait to do jake all right all right i'm out on number three i haven't seen it This is, yeah, all this you. is
1: i know it's gonna be very unhelpful um another movie by did, this director came up in the oscar game i don't think we mentioned him specifically but we right, mentioned one of his films. right
0: okay well the oscar game we talked about switching her out for melissa leo so that wouldn't count we talked about you wanted to give her what was the one mm. that you wanted to give her
2: Oh, oh, I know what it is. I think it is
1: um, Far From Heaven. It is Far From Heaven.
0: Carol. We talked about Carol in the. Oh, Todd.
1: Yeah, Far From Heaven with a 3.8. Yeah.
0: Yeah. That movie's good. Yeah, you liked it, apparently. The movie's really good. Viola is
1: fifth build. I have not seen it.
0: We made it. This was a tough letterboxed game. Yeah. It wasn't a good showing, it wasn't a strong performance (laughs) from, from anyone,
2: really. So that, uh, that has been, if you can remember back this long, our episode on Amy Adams and doubt. For more Amy Adams content, head over to roughcutcinema.com. We'll be, we'll be posting through the end of the month and we'll be announcing our next spotlight subject soon.